I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and today I want us to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, I get it, 2 Timothy may be a little bit difficult to find. I mean, this is a library that we call a book. It's got 66 books in it, so I recognize that it may be difficult to find 2 Timothy in the midst of those 66 books. Uh, so here's what I would tell you, some, some hints that I would give you to help you find 2 Timothy. If you're in a physical Bible, just open up to the table of contents. Uh, that is by far the easiest way to locate a book in the Bible. Uh, so if you go to the table of contents, you're going to find that 2 Timothy is in the big section called the New Testament. So first find the New Testament. In that section, you'll find 2 Timothy. It's towards the end of the list of books in the New Testament. So 2 Timothy 3, last part of the New Testament. If you're in an app, simply pull down the list of the books of the Bible. You'll find that 2 Timothy is about three-quarters or seven-eighths of the way down that list of books. So 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, I want to begin this morning with asking you a question. Have you ever noticed how your Bible is printed? I mean, take a, a look at this. This is uh, the Bible that I use to preach with. Uh, I take it on trips with me. Um, you know, the, the pages, if I was to compare this book with other printed books that I have, uh, the pages in this particular book are pretty thin. Uh, they're closer to like a tissue paper than they are to an actual like novel that I would purchase at a bookstore. Um, and the writing, at least in mine, the writing is pretty small. It's packed in so that they're able, the, the printers of this book, they're able to pack in a lot of writing into a small space using thinner pages um, and smaller writing. Now, some of you ha may have a larger print Bible, and your Bible is therefore going to be thicker. It's going to be bigger. But what would it look like if our Bible was printed the way ordinary novels are printed? If you went to the bookstore and you picked up a book and you felt the weight of the paper and saw the, the, the size of the print and the spacing between the sentences or the, the lines, what would your Bible look like? Well, I have one here. If your Bible was printed on regular paper like a, a, nor, a novel is written on and it used the same font and the same size font and the same, same spacing between the lines, your book, your, your Bible would take up this much. This is what's called a reader's edition of the Bible. And it has the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, printed on regular paper. Now, I, I, I sat down with this reader's edition of the Bible, and, and I counted out the pages. I, I saw how many pages it took for each of these editions uh, and, and calculated everything up. In this particular reader's edition of the Bible, there are three over 3,200 pages versus this book that I carry around and use to preach on. Look at, look at the difference there. Look, look at the difference between all of this right here is actually this. It's contained in this book, in this set. So one of the things I want us to understand and I want to unpack today is that the Bible is larger than we generally think it is. 
uh, and I'm going to unpack that in a moment. Um, but before I go any further, let me read the passage that we've been using uh, as kind of our theme verse for this entire series. It's Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Why are we discussing the Bible? Why are we talking about God's word? Well, the reason we're talking about it is because it is a lamp and a light it's a, it's a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. It guides us, it directs us. And if we want to follow Jesus in the best way possible, we've got to understand this library, this book. We've got to understand how to read it and, and quite frankly, how not to read it. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks. We introduced this message series last week, uh, and so if you want to get caught up, go to our YouTube page or our website, uh, and you can see that uh, sermon on uh, that location. Now, today, I want to unpack three things. Uh, I want to unpack first the Bible itself. I've already unpacked a little bit uh, of this, this huge library, but I also want to unpack its authors and I want to unpack how we are to approach it. So, so let me say this, and I mentioned it when I told you to turn to 2 Timothy 3. The first thing that I want you to notice about this is this book is not actually a book. This book is a library. Uh, this contains 66 individual books. So if I was to go to a bookshelf and it contains 66 books on it, that's, those 66 books are not a book. That's a small library. That's a collection. So the one, th one of the first things we need to understand is this is not uh, a book in the traditional sense. This is a library. This is a collection of other books. Uh, it's written over four, or it covers over 4,000 years of time, maybe more than that. Um, and, and so it covers a vast amount of time. If you were to break this down, there are two big sections in this library. There's the Old Testament, which is the books of the Bible that were before Jesus. And then there's the New Testament, the books that came after Jesus. And if you were to break that down, there are 39 books in the Old Testament, and there are 27 books in the New Testament. Now, these 66 books were written by over 40 different authors and were written uh, in three different continents. They're, they're written in three different languages, uh, pri two primarily Hebrew and Greek, but there's also some Aramaic um, mixed in, especially in the Old Testament. And so there's a lot we can say about this. This is a huge library. This is a big book. Again, think of your Bible not as this thin edition, but as this library right here. This huge collection of books written over a, a massive amount of time by many authors. It's, it's something to consider. Uh, let me say a quick word, though, in light of this fact, uh, in, in regard to our reading habits. Uh, you see, again, this is a huge library, and some of you watching may be avid readers. I know I am. I, I'm, I read books regularly. I read my Bible regularly. 
Uh, I'm, I enjoy reading, but I also recognize that some of you here may not like reading at all. Maybe reading is a struggle and it's difficult uh, for you to do. And guys, that's okay. That, that, that's not a problem. I'm actually, towards the end of this series, I'm going to spend one of our, uh, our messages just unpacking some of the ways, some of the resources, some of the different methods that you can use to read the Bible that may be easier, especially if you're not like a, an avid reader. But it's okay if you're not a reader. It's okay if you are a reader. You know, some of you could sit down with this library, this library, and you could read this library in a year with no problem. It wouldn't be a struggle for you. But I also recognize that some of you would really struggle to read this in a year. And that's okay. You see, here's the thing. When reading the Bible, quality is more important than quantity. It's more important to read and understand God's word than it is to check off that you read three chapters or five chapters that day, and you're on the path to finish this library in 365 days. You see the retention and the understanding and the grasping and the unpacking of God's word is more important than how much you're consuming in a given amount of time. There are times when, I'll be honest, when I sit down to read God's word, there are many times when I don't stick with the plan of how many chapters I was going to read in that day because as I'm reading, I'll encounter a passage that is challenging or difficult or confusing or that I don't fully understand, and I'll stop my planned reading, the, how much I had planned to read, and I'll sit down with my study aids, and I'll sit down with my computer, and I'll dig in to that confusing or difficult passage more in depth so that I understand more of what I'm reading. Again, it's not about how much I'm reading. It's the quality of what I'm reading. Don't sacrifice quality for quantity is what I'm saying. If you can't read the Bible in a year because you're spending extra time getting deep and studying and going to resources and understanding passages that are difficult or ideas or theologies that are difficult, if you can't read the Bible in a year because you're doing some deeper work, that's the best thing in the world. Uh, I would much rather you understand and unpack and wrestle with God's word than for you to complete the entire library in a year and not get, not get as much from it, not wrestle with it, not, not understand it as well. Quality is always better than quantity. So that being said, I've mentioned that there are 66 books in here. They, were, they cover over 4,000 years, maybe longer. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. They were written by 40-plus authors on three different continents. And, and the, the time span that's covered in the writings, like what's, what's covered in what happens, covers over 1,400 years. And yet everything in God's Word is in agreement with it, everything else in God's Word. And, and so... How did God give us this library? If we're talking about 4,000 years plus that's covered, and it was written by 40-plus authors, and there are 66 books, well, how did God give those authors those books? What happened? Well, 
some God directly spoke to. Uh, For example, Moses uh, in the book of Exodus chapter 17, verse 14 says, And then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial on in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. In other words, God goes to Moses, and you can hear this often throughout the first five books of the Bible. God would go to Moses and say, grab a pen and paper and start writing down what I'm about to tell you. Uh, It also happens uh, in several other places, but it happens in the New Testament in the book of Revelation, the very last book of our Bible. Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Uh, John is speaking. John is the guy who wrote uh, the book of Revelation. He was one of the 12 followers, the 12 disciples of Jesus. And Revelation 1, 10 and 11 says this. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And then, if you continue reading, uh, the person who is speaking is actually Jesus. And Jesus gives John a word-for-word accounting of what he's supposed to be writing down. Um, So sometimes God spoke directly. Sometimes God would inspire or, or would place the words or concepts in the mind of the author through his Holy Spirit. Um, You know, sometimes using the wisdom that was around them or or whatever, God would use those different things to inspire them to write something down. Uh, An example of that is 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweetest psalmist of Israel, saying, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. You know, David wrote all of these psalms, and in 2 Samuel, it's recorded that many times there would be inspiration that was given to David to write down what God wanted him to write down. So first, God spoke directly. Sometimes God inspired, and the author would write down what that inspiration gave him or her. Um, Thirdly, the author was there and wrote down what he saw. So many times in the Bible, we see like a historical accounting from someone who was actually present at the event. Uh, Moses is a great example of this. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, the first five books of our Bible. And much of what he wrote, he wrote because he was writing it down as it happened, as he experienced it. Because a lot of those first five books are historical accountings of Moses leading the people through the wilderness to the promised land. Uh, Another example from the New Testament uh, of someone being present and recording what they witnessed would be the book of Matthew or the book of John. They were direct followers of Jesus. They were hit one of it, they were each one of the 12 disciples. And so they later wrote down what they experienced as they followed Jesus. Uh, th- so God spoke directly. Godwin would inspire or the author would write down what they were experiencing and they would write down through the power of the Holy Spirit what they were supposed to write down. And lastly, the author would some of the authors would uh, research and record what they heard from eyewitnesses or from the Lord. An example of this is Luke. So Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Now Luke, 
the book of Luke um, is an accounting of the life and ministry of Jesus himself. But Luke wasn't a direct follower of Jesus. He came to follow Jesus later, but he was a direct disciple, a direct learner, student uh, of Peter and Paul. Now, Peter was a direct follower of Jesus, and Paul was given revelation uh, about Jesus. And so Luke interviewed Peter and some of the other followers of Jesus, and he built this beautiful book of a record of the life and the ministry and the teachings of Jesus. Uh, now, Acts is similar. About half of the book of Acts is stuff that Luke um, uh, recorded from his interviews and his research that he did with the followers of Jesus. But a little ways in, Luke actually becomes the participant, and he begins recording uh, what is happening because he was there and experienced it himself. So let's go back and recap. There are four ways that God gave us his word through these 66 books, uh, through 40-plus authors. First, God would speak directly to the person, and they would record down exactly what God said. Secondly, God would sometimes inspire the mind and heart of the author to write things down, and, and a, a lot of our New Testament is that. Thirdly, the author would write down something that they directly experienced, like Moses or Matthew or John, who were there, they experienced it, and they either in the moment or later on wrote down what took place or what was taught. And then lastly, sometimes one of the writers were someone that was a direct a follower of a follower of Jesus. In other words, they were a student of a, one of the apostles, one of the Jesus' disciples. And they would research and interview, and they would write down, they would record what uh, those apostles, those disciples of Jesus, told them took place um, as a record of God's word. So I want you to notice something that I mentioned earlier, though. We've got these 66 books written over 1,400-plus uh, years. They cover more than 4,000 years of time in, in their content. Um, but I mentioned earlier that God's Word is in full agreement with itself. And that tells us that there's actually, truly, just one author. We can talk about how there were 66 men who wrote things down, but the true author, the one that gave those 66 books, the writers of those 66 books, the words to write, was the true author. And that author is Jesus. It's God. You see, we think of the Bible as these 66 books by all these individuals, but these individuals all have one thing in common, God directing them what to write. So, in reality, this is a library um, with one author, and maybe a better way to describe it is that there were 40-plus scribes or recorders that wrote down what that one author wanted them to write down. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 say, say this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation— for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter makes it clear that God's word comes from God. It's given to the writers, the men who wrote down the books of the Bible. They were given the words by God through his Holy Spirit. Therefore, there is a consistent message throughout. 
And every passage can be interpreted through the understanding of the rest of Scripture. There's a, a phrase that I want to pop up on the screen right now. Interpret Scripture with Scripture. In other words, when we sit down with the Bible and we're trying to understand and interpret what it's saying, we have to interpret it based off of what the rest of Scripture says. And I'm going to talk about this in the next coming weeks, but we can't take anything, you know, we can't take a page out of this book and try and interpret it by itself without understanding everything that is before and after it. So, there is one author. Now, here's the point where I want you to turn to that passage that I told you to turn to at the beginning of the message. 2 Timothy 3, go ahead and turn there. 2 Timothy uh, is a book that was written by a man named Paul. He was this great missionary, great leader, wrote much of our New Testament. He mentored some guys, and one of the guys he mentored was this young man named Timothy. And Timothy uh, was someone that Paul mentored and then sent out to already established churches to lead them and guide them and help them grow and become healthy. And listen to what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 14. It says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul is uh, you know, pointing Timothy back to all of the Bible that he grew up reading and understanding. Now look at verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, this library, this library right here, it contains everything we need to know to be wise, uh, to, to direct our decisions and our path, uh, to lead us to know Jesus and follow him. And God gave us this library so that we could be saved in him and live for him. Uh, that, that's what this library is all about. It's about pointing us and connecting us to Jesus. There's no greater purpose in God's word than to help us know God, know Jesus, and be saved in our belief in him. That's what the Bible's all about. The Bible is, as I mentioned last week, it's a beautiful love story from God to his people about how to have our relationship with him that we broke, how to have it fixed, how to have that good relationship with him repaired and healthy. And if you're listening right now and you're not a believer in Jesus, let me just say this. God loves you. He loves you so much that he gave you the Bible so that you could have guidance on how to love him as well and how to be saved from your sins. But he loved you so much more than even that. The book, the Bible is just the beginning. You see, God loves you so much that he gave his only son to die on a cross and rise from the grave so that you could be rescued from the eternal punishment that your sins have condemned you to. 
And instead of having eternal punishment, if you believe in Jesus and commit your life to him, you can have eternal life, eternal perfection with God. And all he asks is that you believe in him, commit your life to him, and proclaim him to others. That's what he asks of you. And if you've got questions, if you want to know more about that, if you, if you uh, aren't sure about this, but, but your curiosity is driving you crazy about it, and you want to have some of these hard questions asked that you have in your mind and your heart about Jesus, please reach out to us. Uh, in the post of this video, there's a, a link to the Contact Us page of our website. Go to that link, fill out that form on our Contact Us page, uh, and I will personally reach out to you this week. I would love the opportunity to answer any questions that you have about Jesus or lead you in the next steps in your journey with Jesus. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Now, before I go any further, I, I want to talk about today's big idea because in 2 Timothy 3, Paul unpacks this idea that, that God's word is breathed out from God. But listen to what verse 16 says. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. You see, this book has a purpose in our lives. And sometimes that purpose is to correct some misdirection or misbelief that we have in our lives. And, and that leads me to today's big idea. I, I'm not a three-point pastor. I don't give you three points and hope that you remember all three this week. I want you to take this one main point, this one main idea, and I want you to focus on it. I want you to think about it. I want you to meditate on it and weigh it against the Bible to make sure that it's true. But, but here's today's big idea. The Bible is greater than man's opinions, even your own. Let me say that again because this is a tough one to swallow sometimes. The Bible is greater than man's opinions, even your own. You see, the Bible has one author. There is one author of this library. And his views, what he says, is greater than any opinion you may have or anyone else may have. And we must respect what he says even if we don't like what he says. And one of the most common ways that we stumble in, in this, in, in kind of placing our opinions or letting our opinions shape what we believe about the Bible is when we're not recognizing the difference between these two big words. There's these two words, exegesis and eisegesis. Now, uh, these are words that you hear when you study theology at seminary uh, or you study deeply how to, how to study God's word. But exegesis means to lead out of. It's when the interpreter uh, is led to his own opinions and conclusions by following what the text says, by following what the Bible says. Now, eisegesis means to lead into, not lead out of, but lead into. And eisegesis is when the interpreter interjects his own ideas into the Bible and makes the Bible mean whatever that interpreter wants it to mean. And you may be thinking, oh, well, I'm an exegesis person then because I approach the Bible and let the Bible shape me. I don't let the Bible, I, I don't let my opinion shape 
what the Bible says. I let the Bible shape what my opinions are. But I think all of us are guilty a little bit of I said Jesus. I think we all too many times we approach this book with preconceived opinions and ideas that this book may actually not agree with. Um, sometimes it's uh, beliefs that we were raised in that may not actually be biblical. They sound biblical, but they're not actually biblical. Uh, many times it's beliefs that are shaped by something that we uh, listen to or we're passionate about or we invest time in. A, a great example is politics. A lot of times we take our political views and we interject them into the Bible and we look for ways in the Bible to prove our political beliefs rather than letting the Bible shape our political beliefs. It's like a detective trying to solve a crime. So a, is a good detective going to determine what they think happened based on their first hunch? and then analyze the evidence in a way that only works with that hunch? Or are they going to analyze the evidence and let that evidence point them to what truly happened? You know, a good detective is gonna do the latter. A good detective is going to examine all the evidence and is going to work really hard to not come to any conclusions until they have examined all the evidence and built the big picture. But let's be honest, we've all read news stories of detectives that approached a case and either wanted so, uh, someone to be arrested or for it to be uh, one scenario, uh, or they jumped to conclusions too quickly before they examined the evidence and they came to the wrong conclusions or arrested the wrong suspect. That happens all the time. And we do the same with God's word. Something I want to challenge us with is to think through what the process of exegesis involves. In other words, what the process of letting the Bible shape our opinions, what's involved in that? Well, we have to observe what it says. We have to interpret what that means. Then we have to relate the passage to the rest of the Bible. We have to weigh what that passage says against the rest of God's word, and then we should ask how this passage applies and affects our lives. Now, we all too many times skip one of these things. Some of us don't even get to the place where we read the passage. Guys, I would challenge you, if you are not a reader of God's word, just start setting aside 15 minutes a day and just start in the book of Matthew or the book of John and just start reading, just 15 minutes. Just start somewhere. Nothing ridiculous, nothing crazy. If you've never sat down and read God's word, don't, don't try and <clears throat> tackle two hours every day. Start with something realistic and build from there. After you get used to, you've built that habit of reading 15 minutes a day, okay, then jump up to 20 minutes and do that for a few weeks. And then jump up to 30 minutes and do that for a few weeks. Incrementally build yourself up. But the point is, is to actually sit down and read God's word. Then, as I mentioned earlier about quality over quantity, too many times we read the passage and then we walk away. We don't spend any time unpacking what the passage means and uh, comparing that passage to the rest of what Scripture teaches. And then the worst thing is when we walk away from reading that passage and we don't ask God 
how it shapes us, how it affects us, how it impacts our faith and our lives and our following Jesus. So the question today is, how do you approach the Bible? Do you try and confirm your own opinions by what the Bible says? Do you take your opinions and read God's word uh, looking for ways to confirm what you already believe? Or do you use God's word to shape what you believe? Do you sit down with God's word and willingly and openly ask God to transform your opinions and your views and your beliefs to be more like his opinions, views, and beliefs. Let's go to the Lord and let's ask him to help us with that today. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this opportunity, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a people that when we open your word, that we are transformed by it. So let me start at the beginning, Lord. I pray for everyone who's listening right now that if they are not readers of your word, I pray that you would uh, convict them to become readers, that they would take time every day, something small maybe, but they would begin somewhere by reading your word on a regular basis. Lord, and for those who do read or are just starting to read, for every one of us, I pray that as we read your word that we would take a moment when we read something and seek to understand what it means, that we would compare it with the rest of your word so that we would understand the entirety of what you teach. And then we would spend time asking you and allowing you to mold us and shape us to be more like you, that you would take any opinions, any views, any beliefs that are not in line with you, and you would change those. You would align those uh, views, opinions, and beliefs to be in line with you. Transform us through your word. Use your word to make us, to shape us into the men and women of God that you've called us to be. We thank you, Lord, and we lift all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.